The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program. WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, WLHS, the Lakota Local School District, or staff and management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as specific legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on WMKV, WLHS, and the Maple Knoll Radio Network. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vina Jones-Cox, and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for the news, information, advice, strategies, and techniques you need to start or build your own real estate investing business. And today we are going to talk about one of those very basic strategies, one of those techniques that Every real estate investor who is in the acquisition phase of their career needs to know about, needs to live, needs to practice, and that is getting sellers calling you. My guest today is Kathy Kennebrook, also known as the Marketing Magic Lady. She is a full-time real estate investor from the Tampa, Florida area who uh, got started in real estate after 22 years in corporate America and applied what she knew about marketing to her real estate business and very quickly had bought and sold over 250 single-family homes uh, using creative finance techniques. She's joining us today from her home in Florida. Welcome, Kathy Kennebrook. Hey, how are you? Welcome, everyone. <laughs> Hi, Kathy. Um, hey, how are you? I'm good. Please, please, please excuse the way I sound. I taught a four-day class this weekend. My voice is almost recovered, but oh, good. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't want, I don't want people to be calling and saying, oh, poor Venus, she sounds so sick, because my listeners care about me that much. They would actually like be calling the station, asking if they could bring home remedies if they heard there my voice. Go. But it sounds, it sounds worse than it feels, everybody. So... Um, Kathy, uh, you are going to be in Ohio next week. You're doing uh, the Corey Group in Columbus next Tuesday night, and then Greater Dayton Rhea on Wednesday, and Cincinnati Rhea on Thursday. And we'll tell folks how to get more information about those free meetings a little bit later on in the program. But why don't you? I just kind of gave like a like a really quick overview of of how it was you actually got into the real estate business. Why don't, why don't, why don't you start out just with your story? Okay. Um, I actually got into the real estate investing business about 16 years ago now. What time is just flying. Um, and prior to that, I had spent my time in the financial sector. Um, and I was working uh, in the, in, for the banking system, and I was on the road a lot. I was putting about 100,000 miles a year on my vehicle. I was never home. 
Um, and I knew there had to be something better. I just didn't know what that thing was going to be. And, and of course, I got swooped in by one of those late-night infomercials on how to buy houses with no money down. And I thought, that would be really cool. And um, I was fortunate enough that at that point in time, one of my customers was the person who ran our real estate club in Tampa, Florida. And I called him and I said, you know, what do you think about this real estate investing stuff? And he said, you know, does it work? And he said, of course it does. Come to some of our meetings and make that determination for yourself. And so we did that. We started going to some meetings and seminars. And, and like a lot of people, we started buying a bunch of books and tapes and programs and putting them on the shelf and putting them on the shelf, never to be seen again. And after we had spent about $13,000 on books, tapes, and programs and done absolutely nothing, I was determined to get our money back. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the emergence of our first deal. And what we ended up doing was like driving neighborhoods, looking at for sale by owner properties. We started calling on ads in newspapers. Let me tell you how much fun that wasn't. And that's kind of what got us into playing around with the direct mail, because we figured that if we could find sellers that nobody else knew about, we were probably more likely to make a better deal. And all of a sudden, our second deal comes along, and the seller calls us on the phone and says, Kathy, take the house off my hands. I'll deed it to you. I got the keys sitting right here. And of course, that's the kind of motivated seller you want to be dealing with. And he simply deeded us his property for his mortgage balance of 197000 And the home was worth about 337000 um, We used a technique we had learned called a round-robin auction to sell that property. And when everything was said and done, we ended up with a check for $51,600, which was a serious game-changer for us. Um, at that point, we both decided to quit our jobs, get into this full-time. And when you're making you know, really good money and you have two older teenagers eating you out of house and home at the time, 51000 doesn't go all that far that fast. And so we very quickly realized that we needed to replace our income. And one of the ways that we really focused on doing that was by implementing these very targeted direct mail campaigns to get really highly motivated sellers contacting us first. And the rest is history. As you know, we've done hundreds of deals over the years. Um, we do all kinds of deals. If the deal makes sense, Folks, you know, don't lock yourself into any one particular niche. If the deal makes sense, don't leave money sitting on the table. Um, so we do whatever kind of deal comes at us. We've done single-family homes. Um, we've done wobbly boxes down here in Florida, which are those mobile homes. Uh, we've done vacant land, uh, duplexes, triplexes, quads, small apartment complexes. So if the deal has made sense to us, we've done it. We do a little of everything. Um, we do a very little wholesaling anymore. We do do some wholesaling, but not a lot because I'm kind of greedy and I want the big paycheck. Um, but we do retailing. We do rehabs. We have a lot of rentals. We do lease option. We do work for equity. So really, we do a little bit of everything these days. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, you said you said 16 years time has passed very quickly but uh in reality in in terms of how you find the deals once you got locked into the to the systems of direct mail that's just what you've done and we've gone through quite a huge market cycle during that 16 years and yet i know that it was it was direct mail when the market was quote you know dead and direct mail when the market was, quote, hot, and now direct mail still while the market is hot again. Um, I think you're a, a big believer in putting things in I people's am, hands. I am, that's absolutely true, Vina. And, and it's really amazing because we had so many students, and 
um, and folks around us that got away from the direct mail marketing during that time when the market was so hot and there were so many pre-foreclosures and short sales going on. And, and of course, we did those deals, too, because once again, we don't lock ourselves in any one niche. We get out there and do it all. But direct mail marketing is a machine. Once you start the engine and once you automate the system and get the direct mail marketing in place, direct mail marketing is the one marketing technique out there that is so firm and constant. It's a constant in the market. And so we continued doing deals all the time throughout all of those periods when it was dead, when it was great. Direct mail marketing is one of our mainstays. Um, you know, although we do other things, we do, you know, signage and we do some postcard mailings, you know, to get buyers coming in. Um, we do, you know, business cards and we do flyers and we do internet ads. We have a website. We do all of those things. But the direct mail marketing throughout all of that time has provided us with approximately 70% of the total deals that we do. Mm-hmm. And that is so a big number. Right. <laughs> and when we, when we come back uh, after the break here, we're going to talk more specifically about uh, some of the marketing that you do and, and some of the rules that, that, that people need to be following about this because not all direct mail marketing is created equal. We are also going to take calls with questions for Kathy at 877-772-9658 or via our website at askvina.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Kathy Kennebrook. You may have seen her around the internet or around conferences, real estate associations, things like that, spilled as the marketing magic lady. Her marketing looks like magic because, you know, like you let people know that you buy houses and they sell you houses. And Kathy, I don't think there is anybody listening who isn't aware that they should be doing marketing. I mean, I think that I think that mes- I think that message is out there. And yet you and I know that 80% of the folks out there who, you know, couldn't be convicted of being a real estate investor in court based on the evidence uh, are doing it and the other 20% are are mostly doing it sporadically. What what is your secret for keeping the mail going out all the time? Well, the biggest thing that I would suggest to our folks to do is to automate their systems as quickly as they can. And there are various ways to do that. Um, when we implement direct mail campaigns, um, we either there, there's lots of different ways for them to do that. They can either hire someone. They could have a, a, an older child do it for them. They could have a stay-at-home mom do it, you know, a college student, high school student looking for some extra work. Um, I also, for my students, I provide companies who will do all of the mailings for them. So the more quickly they can implement systems in their business, and get it automated, the more money that that you're going to make. You and I both know that the more minutiae you get out of your life more quickly, the more money you're going to make. So um, one of the things that I suggest that they do as quickly as they can is to automate these systems and get someone else doing the work for them. Yes, I've also noticed that if it's not my responsibility, it's more likely to get done. Just, you know, that may just be me, but, you know, if if I have to do it, it might get done. If it's somebody else's job, it will get done. Exactly. You know, we we find so many great reasons to procrastinate and and not get the next thing finished. Um, And in our business, so many things, almost everything in our business is outsourced. 
Um, and, and the direct mail, of course, is outsourced. Um, I don't have time personally to sit and address envelopes. However, if I was a beginning investor again and had it to do all over like we did, that's the way we did it in the beginning. And, and literally on Friday night when it came down to, you know, do we buy the stamps or do we buy the pizza, it was stamps, you know, so there was a commitment. <laughs> and so the other thing is they have to have that commitment to be successful because that's real important too. You know, um, you've got to pick your goals, decide what you want to do, implement systems in place and just get moving. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very, very true. Um, so we had a guest here, um, I don't know, three or four weeks ago, a fellow I think you know named Ryan, who was talking about internet marketing, who said that internet marketing is, is something that people really ought to focus on. What is your feel about uh, direct mail versus other kinds of marketing like having a website, being on social media, running Google ads, and then uh, other shotgun methods like, I don't know, bandit signs, car signs, things like that. Well, it's not instead of, it's in addition to. <laughs> um, every time when you are marketing and you are finding motivated sellers, you need to have between three and five marketing techniques in place at all times. One of those has to be direct mail marketing. We have a website. We use that website. We have sellers that come to that website. I do Internet marketing. I run ads on Craigslist, and we have folks that come in that way. In your business, there are two ways that you are going to market to find motivated sellers. One is by using a targeted approach. One is by using a shotgun approach. Shotgun approach, again, is where we you know, run some ads and we put some flyers out. We have that website, and we hope that someone in that big group of folks has a property they need to sell. And certainly we need to implement those techniques. However, you also want to include a very targeted marketing campaign in order to draw in the highest number of very highly qualified sellers that none of your competitors know anything about. Um, And for us, the targeted direct mail has really been our mainstay. So our business is about 70% direct mail and about 30% everything else. And we test and track very consistently, and those numbers are are holding very true, about 70% direct mail and 30% everything else. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you made a really good um, uh, point in an article that, that you sent out to us that we then sent out to the Real Life Real Estate listeners who had signed up to be on our email list at askvina.com that made the point that unlike internet type things and bandit type uh, bandit sign bus benches, those sorts of things, the letter has staying power. Like, like nobody ever calls you on your Google ad two and a half years after you place the Google ad. But they will call you about on a letter that they've had in their file for two and a half years. Good point. Um, there are some very unique um, p- uh, parts to direct mail. One is that you can create the exact lead you're looking for. You can create that in the exact neighborhood, zip code, whatever area that you want to reach. You can always control the number of pieces that are going out. So you can crank it up or pull it back as you need to. And then, of course, Vina, you know that in my direct mail campaigns, I put a response mechanism in the body of my letter, and I tell the seller exactly what it is I want them to do because, as you know and I know, if you don't tell that seller what you want them to do, they're not going to do anything. And so they will give me the information that I need. They will provide me with photographs of that property 
so that when my deals come across my desk, they're already pre-screened for me. So we're already taking, you know, that piece out of the equation. Um, you're also going to reach prospective sellers and lenders who would never learn about you in any other way. Believe it or not, folks, there are people out there who don't have computers still. Um, you know, they go to the library, they're, you know, older folks, they just haven't gotten into it, and they don't do it. And, Lena, like you said, it's amazing. Direct mail has an incredible shelf life. Folks will hold on to your letter until they need your services. And I could sit here all day long and give you example after example after example of how that's true. Um, in fact, we just closed on a deal three weeks ago where a daughter went into, she inherited the home, you know, mom and dad passed away, she went into the home, and she was cleaning the home out and found one of our letters in a desk drawer and called us and we bought that house. So they definitely have a long shelf life. Direct mail also offers saturation and less competition. So you basically are going in and saturating an area with your message on a continual basis. And so Direct mail is a lot more residual than other types of marketing. So you're constantly gently touching these sellers with your message. And as you do that, your response rates will continue to increase. And that's one of the really unique traits of direct mail that you won't find with any other marketing technique out there. Very true. Now, I know that uh, first the first listener question we're going to get, I haven't even received it yet, but I know what it's going to be. It's going to be, she keeps talking about these motivated sellers. Who exactly is she talking about? Can you give us some examples of the kind of people you like to target for your mailings? Well, there are lots of those, as you know. Um, And the reason that there are lots of them, Vina, is we have developed direct mail campaigns for specific types of prospects so that we can flex with whatever our real estate market is doing. So we build a long-term marketing plan for our business. So, for example, we target out-of-state owners, and an out-of-state owner is somebody who owns a home in the city or county that you live in, but they don't live there full-time. So maybe they bought it, you know, as a vacation home, or maybe they bought it, you know, because they were going to retire there, or they inherited it, and maybe they have or haven't seen that property, and those are really great prospects. Vacant houses, my goodness, folks, if you're not actively going after vacant houses, you're missing the boat because those are free leads. All you got to do is drive around and write them down, um, you know, and then let someone research the owners of those vacant houses. And the more difficult it is to find the owner of a vacant house, the better a deal you're going to make. And then, of course, we, we target specific zip code areas. I like expired listings. Um, you know, these are the folks who, you know, they, they've had that property listed for however long and it hasn't sold. Those are really good. I work a lot with attorneys, Vina. Um, we have attorneys who bring us deals all the time because if you're a person of integrity and you do what you say you, that you're going to do, when these attorneys have clients who come to them and they need to sell that property quickly in order to liquidate assets for their client, like a divorce or an estate or whatever, they contact us first. So that's a consistent source of leads that we only had to market for one time. Quit claim deeds and estates. You know, we buy tons of estate properties and one of the reasons that investors do really well with the state properties is fairly often there are problems with them. They're in probate, you know, so you can't close for three months, four months, five months, you know, whatever that might be. And we as investors, that's not a big deal for us. But an end user, you know, they want to close in 30 days or they know they, you know, that they, they want to know that they can close in 30 or 45 days. And so that those become, you know, a property that they can't buy. So that's a really great investor type of property. Um, 
you know, we, we have folks that we market to, so we get the deed. We have folks that we market to that own their properties free and clear without mortgages. Um, we market to folks with different types of mailing lists that we use. We also market even to folks who've just gotten married because a lot of times, you know, maybe he owns a home and she owns a home, and they want to sell one or both and buy one of their very own. So there's lots of different types of sellers that we're very specifically targeting. Now, that's really loose because... What we do is within each one of those direct mail campaigns, we use specific parameters to hone in even further to pull out the most highly qualified folks in each one of those direct mail campaigns. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, wow, that was a lot. And when we come come back from the break, we will talk about uh, what, what someone who does not have the whole system set up the way you do ought to do first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. We're also going to take calls from listeners who have any questions about direct mail campaigns for Kathy Kennebrook at 877-772-9658 or via email by, via our website at askvina.com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Kathy Kennebrook. And um, Kathy, as you can tell, has a ton of energy and a ton of passion for what she does. And she is going to be making a three-group sweep through Ohio next week. Columbus on the uh, on Tuesday, Dayton on Wednesday, and Cincinnati Rhea on Thursday. You can get more information about that. Columbus at centralohioria.com, Dayton at gdria.org, and I'm going to double check that because I said it and then I wasn't sure that was right, and uh, Cincinnati at cincinnatiria.com. Uh, And all those meetings, I believe, are being treated as guest nights, which means that if you are within the range of my voice and you show up uh, they will just let you on in because Kathy's come a long way to uh, come teach you about this. And she's got even more information uh, for you when she, if you can, can come and see her live. Uh, so it's actually gdria.com. I'm sorry, Greater Dayton Rhea is gdria.com. Uh, so, Kathy, we are starting to get some questions, and for folks who are confused about why I keep giving you a website instead of an email address, our website, askvina.com, that's A-S-K-V, like in Victor, E-N-A.com, uh, is where you can go and type your questions into our response form, and then it comes right here to the station where I can read it for our guests. And while you're there, you can also sign up for our weekly e-letter so that you don't miss a show. Not ever, ever, ever. We send out every week an announcement about the program along with an article uh, by our guests or about some topic that is crucial to your real estate investing career. Again, that's askavina.com. I have a question here from Stephanie, who is from Jacksonville, Florida. She is from down your way, Kathy. And she says, I would like to get Kathy's take on letters versus postcards and also on whether the postcards need to be full color or not. So, boy, I have a feeling Stephanie just got in for an answer much bigger than she thought it was going to be. Yes, she did. (laughs) (laughs) The only time I use postcards for finding motivated sellers is when I'm testing a new list. Um, That's about it. 
Um, there are several reasons that we do not use postcards to find motivated sellers. Um, that's a shotgun approach. Again, see, you're working with the shotgun approach. Approach. When I am implementing direct mail and I am going to be spending money on finding motivated sellers, I want to use something very, very targeted. One thing is that um, sellers sort the trash, you know, over the trash can, and postcards have a much more likelihood of getting trashed more quickly. They see this personal letter. They want to know, wow, who's that from? A lot of times I use lumpy mail, and I'll put something in there to, you know, raise their curiosity even more. And they'll open that letter. They read it. It's warm, and it's fuzzy. And once again, it has that response mechanism in there. So when that seller responds to me, they are going to you know, give me all the information that I need in order to determine if there's a, a deal there to be made or not. The other thing that, and again, you know, we've tested and tracked all of this over the years. I, I, I have nothing against postcards except what my testing tells me. Um, people will hold on to the letters because they feel like they have more credibility, like you're creating a relationship with that seller, like you targeted, targeted them exactly to send this letter to. It's much more personal. Um, when they see a postcard, it's like, oh, you know, somebody did a mailing and, th and they throw it in the garbage. It's a different kind of mindset. Um, so if I'm going to spend the money and I'm going to really, you know, use targeted direct mail to find specific kinds of sellers, I'm definitely going to use a letter as opposed to a postcard. Um, again, if I'm testing a brand new list, something I've not had before, I'll take a hundred postcards and throw them out there or a couple hundred postcards and throw them out there to test a new list just to see what kind of response I get. But when I'm really getting serious about finding sellers and about finding deals, um, I'm really going to be using direct mail campaigns. The other reason I like direct mail as opposed to the postcard is because we have that response mechanism. We tell the seller exactly how we want them to contact us as well. So 90% of the sellers I deal with contact me by mail, email, or fax, not by telephone. So basically my phone's not ringing off the wall all the time, and yet I have all the information I need in order to determine whether or not there's a deal there to be made. So there's a really big difference, and the difference is that a direct mail campaign is a very targeted approach, and a postcard campaign is a shotgun approach, two completely different kinds of marketing. Mm -hmm. Can you can you repeat that statistic you just blew by about how many people call you versus how many email you fax you or send you a response by mail? 90% of the people that I work with will contact me by mail, email, or fax. Only about 10% of the folks I deal with pick up a telephone and call me. Um, and the reason for that, Dina, is pretty much that's what we're telling them to do within the body of the letter. Once again, if you tell the seller what you want them to do, they will. You know, if you tell them to come, they will come kind of thing, you know. Um, and so about, only about 10% of folks will pick up a telephone and, and call me. And I really get the ones that are serious, so I'm not getting, you know, well, I got this postcard, what's it all about? Because I'm real specific in the body of my letter about what, what it is I'm doing and how I can help them and what information I need, and all of that's in that letter. So they already know exactly what it is that, I, that, you know, that, that we're both going to determine and what we're both going to do in order to make that deal happen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very interesting. Now, let me play devil's advocate for a minute before somebody else does, because I'm sure that you know, we'll get we'll get this reaction from someone. The people who advocate for postcards do it because they say, well, the big advantage of the postcard, other than that it's cheaper, which is, let's face it, the real reason most people want to send postcards, 
right. is that is that the postcard doesn't have to be opened, and that you know the the message is right there. They pull it out of their they pull it pull out of their PO box, and the message is just right there. And letters have to be opened. Do you do anything special to sort of assure that? the letters don't just get trashed without being opened? Oh, absolutely. We do lots of things. And we'll be going, by the way, just, I know we're blowing through a lot of information very quickly, and I just wanted to let your folks know that we'll be covering all of this in a lot of detail at all three of those meetings that we're going to be at next week. You were talking about, you know, an hour and a half versus a few minutes, so, uh, or an hour and 15 or whatever, but I'm just saying we have a lot more time to cover a lot more material. Um, yeah, we do a lot of things. We, we hand address them. We use a first class stamp on them. They're addressed specifically to that person. Um, we stuff them with something usually. In my case, Vina, what I do is I usually will stuff my letters with a flat pen because when they open the letter, you know, they're going to fill out that response mechanism and they got the pen in the hand. So once again, we take another obstacle right out of the equation and they can just fill that puppy right back in and send it back to us or email it or fax it or whatever they're going to do. Um, and the other thing, like I said, we ask for photographs. So, you know, there, there's just so much more that I'm able to get done with a, with a direct mail, with a letter than you could ever do with a postcard. And, and that's, that's the reason I just, you know, I, I, and we've, we've done postcards and we've tested that. Again, shotgun versus targeted. If I'm going to spend the money on postage, I really want to spend it on a, on a deal I know that I'm going to get because what happens is we spend a lot fewer dollars, marketing dollars, to get much more quality deals. Another direct mail question that's that's uh, common. It's a very common question, and I know it, it somewhat depends on who the particular type of motivated seller you might be mailing to is. But it has to do with follow ups. It has to do with how how many and how often do I do I follow up with them? Is there is there any kind of rule of thumb you can give, or is that just too much dependent on whether you're talking about an estate or a foreclosure or a vacant property? Oh yeah, it, and and again, we're going to cover this a lot more thoroughly at your meetings. Um, each one of the, of the direct mail campaigns has a different follow up um, system in place. Um, the timing's a little bit different depending on, on which direct mail campaign that you're doing. And we just found that kind of through, through testing. Um, like the out-of-state owner mailing, for example, we'll follow that one up like every 60 days. Uh, a vacant house mailing, I'm going to follow up every 30 days. There are lots of really good reasons um, that we do that. The attorney mailing, for example, is followed up every two weeks until we've reached every attorney that we, we started out to contact. So the, the follow-up system is real important. And the other part part of follow-up that we are going to cover at your meetings thoroughly is following up with the sellers who've already contacted you, but you haven't necessarily made that deal yet. You know, if you've already spent the money, you've already created the lead, you've already created the contact, you want to continue to follow up with those sellers until they either sell you the house or tell you to go away. Um, because generally when a seller says, no, not today, are you out of your mind, you want how much, you know, you're going to offer how much, that kind of thing, all they're telling me really is, no, not today, but could you follow up with me every month until I change my mind? Um, so we're going to talk a lot about the follow-up. Um, with the semi-motivated sellers you've already contacted as well. So that's another real important part of the equation. 
Very good. And we have a question here uh, about uh, sort of maintaining the lists in the first place, but we're going to have to take a quick break before we answer that. Uh, we also want to let anyone who has a question between now and the end of the show, which is about 15 minutes away, Give us a call at 877-772-9658 or go to askvina.com, fill out the response form and get it here via email. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I am your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Kathy Kennebrook. And Kathy, to listen to you talk and you're so like energetic and everything, people are going to be really surprised when they see you and you're like four foot eleven and... (laughs) You, you you don't you know you don't you don't look like the 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 real estate mogul giant that you sort of sound like on the radio. <laughs> and, that's but, because you and I are the short and the tall of it. That's right. <laughs> that's right. Um, yeah, it's it's um, uh, it's always good to, it's always good to hear you come speak, and I'm glad you made time to get to Ohio this year. I know you don't do that more than what once every three or four years because people want you all over the country. Uh, and again, people can go to centralohiorea.com or gdrea.com or cincinnatirea.com to learn more about that. Uh, but we, we have a question here from Rachel, who's in the Columbus area. She wants to know how you manage the, the, the lists, both prior to mailing them and also, so like, you know, maybe you've sent out 500 pieces of mail this week, how you track who called back and who didn't call back so that you can maybe do different follow-ups with the ones who did than the ones who didn't. And, you know, Rachel, unfortunately we can't like recommend particular, uh, you know, contract contact management software and things like that. But um, do, do you even, I mean, is that even your job, Kathy, or do you, is the person who's doing the mailings doing this for you? First of all, the person who is doing the mailings for us handles all of that. Um, that's number one. The lists are cleaned conti- continuously. Um, we do use contact software. Uh, I was part of the design of a contact software. Um, again, I'm not going to mention that on your show either, but that's one of the things that we do. But the really simple, I mean, just bring it down to really simple linguistics. We will get a list from the property appraiser's office or whatever list broker we're working with. Um, I like a paper list and because the folks who do the mailings for me, prefer it that way. And so when we get back like bad addresses or a seller contacts us, we go straight back to those lists and clean and, and just clean them consistently because you're going to be continuing to use that same list for a year because you're doing residual mailings. Um, so you're going to continue, you know, to remail and remail. So they, basically what happens is when the lists come, the lists are alphabetical and by state. And, and again, We'll talk a lot more about even that at the at the meetings. And so it's really easy to find the person who contacted you. Just go right to that page in your list and cross that person off. Um, and that's the real simple way of tracking. Um, and then, again, we do use contact software as well. Um, but that's all the job of the person doing the direct mail campaigns for you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kathy's job is to sit in her bunny slippers, drinking her tea, and going through the leads that she got that day, from what I hear. <laughs> Somebody else handles the rest of it, I guess. Right. Um, <laughs> so uh, let's let's talk about um, response rate. Uh, there's a million places around that will, for a whole lot of money, mostly uh, send out their mail. They won't even send out like what you want them to send. They just send out 
whatever they send to that to that kind of uh, seller. And then there's and then there's you know you can you can do it your you can make your own postcards or letters or whatever and send it out yourself. And right. and folks folks don't know what the response rate should be, right? So they're not sure whether they're they're getting a good one, a bad one, an indifferent one. Can you give us some some rough figures for what a response rate to a motivated seller list ought to be? Okay, again, if they are doing targeted direct mail and they're using the parameters that I set up for them, they're, they're contacting and focusing on highly qualified sellers. So, um, and by the way, these are my results and my students throughout the country combined. On first mailings, we're getting about a 6 to 8% response rate. Second mailings, about 9 to 11. Third mailings, about 12 to 20. Fourth and fifth mailings, 21% or more. Residual is key. The more you repeat the mailings, the higher the response rate gets because you're gently touching that seller consistently with that message. And so you're building credibility and a relationship with that person. And when their situation changes, they're going to contact you first, even if they've been contacted by someone else in the meantime. And and I think I think you're doing I think you're being additive there. I think you're saying like by the time we get to the fifth mailing, twenty percent right. of the people will be because because I was adding this up. I was like, that's like a hundred percent, Kathy. That's not yeah, right. No, that's, and then, yeah, that's cumulative, right? So yeah, just to, just to be clear, because I, I, I was right. going to say, well, Kathy, why don't you just mail the fifth one if it's getting a twenty-one percent response rate? Um, right. So no, it's 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 uh, generally that's a repetitive mailing to the same list. Right. Right. So you okay. mail it once, you clean the list. You mail the same list again, you clean that list. You the same list again. That's why I'm saying that you're going to, you know, um, repetitively use the same list for a year, and then once a year we get brand new lists and start over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. A question from Josh in Pittsburgh. He has actually uh, two questions here. Uh, his first question is: What do you think a new investor should budget for starting mailings? Okay, that's a great question. Um, when we first got started, Vina, and, and, I, and I tell my students the same thing, and, and many of them are, are doing really well, um, we will start now as far down the road as we are. We're generally doing between three and four different direct mail campaigns each month. As a beginner investor, I don't want to scare you away and start you like that. So generally what we do is we have this, the, the student check their demographic. Look at your market. See what kinds of homes are in that area. Do you have a lot of, you know, elderly? Do you have a lot of folks who own vacation homes, you know? And pick the mailing that is going to most highly target the demographic that you live in and then start mailing to that. We've had students doing deals at, you know, 50 to 100 letters a week. So roughly, call it what a dollar a letter. By the time you've printed the letter, correct. Yeah, by the time you hire it out, it's about a dollar a letter. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so that's that's paper printing, um, labor, and stamp. And 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 stamp, not not metered mail. Not metered, <laughs> not bulk. Uh, good grief! Please don't do bulk. That goes in the garbage. Half the time, it doesn't even get delivered. <laughs> true true <laughs> yeah, that. Live stamp. Um, and we use all the pretty stamps that are out there. You know, we even rotate the stamps that we use because there's all kinds of really pretty stamps out there, and we do that too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think you kind of sort of answered Josh's second question with your answer. The first one, he said, if you were a broke newbie and you were only going to be able to do one campaign, which one yep. would it be? Yeah, and my suggestion there, 
Here in Florida, it's the out-of-state owner because we have tons of people who own vacation properties, you know, who are elderly, who've inherited properties here in Florida, and they don't live here. So that's my primary demographic. So what I would want the student to do is to seriously sit down, look at your demographic, see where you live, see what kinds of, you know, properties are there, and that's the direct mail campaign I would hone in on to begin with. That's why we provide them with so many choices, because they can pick the mailing, you know, that first mailing is really important, and they can pick the mailing that best fits where they live. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I was just in Pittsburgh last week, and there are like six military bases up there. And so one of the direct mail campaigns we talked about a lot was the military mailing because that's a great way to get leads in. So folks, look at the demographic where you live and see what, you know, the highest number of types of of, of people living there or owning homes are. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Josh, if I could add to that, before you spend any energy figuring out, you know, what the mailing's going to look like and what the envelopes can look like and all that kind of stuff. Make sure you can get the list because the, there's some areas where certain lists are super easy to get. Like right. You can buy them. You can get them off the Internet. You can make them yourself. And there's other areas where that same list is nearly impossible to get to. So, yeah, pick your demographic, but also make sure that you can get a hold of a good list for that before you, you plan out everything else. Ask me how I know that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It only took me like two or three times of, of creating this very complex six-piece mailing campaign and then discovering that <laughs> there are no names available to send it to uh, right. before I stopped doing that. Uh, so let's, um, let's, let's talk for a minute about the brand new investor. They know they should be doing this. You've told them a lot about what they, what they ought to do. What would be like step one, two, and three to get this implemented? Because, I mean, you know how folks are. They keep intending to do it, and and that just keeps not happening. Well, the first thing they need to do, number one, is to come to our meetings next week. (laughs) Um, Because we're going to be covering all of this in a lot of detail. That's why I said that. So the first thing that they need to do is, again, pick that demographic. Decide which direct mail campaign you want to start with. Then find out about the availability of that list. And, Vina, you know and I know that I work with list brokers all over the country who can customize those lists for our students no matter where they live in the country. So if they decide to start working with me or when they decide to start working with me, we do all that part of the homework for them. It's already done. Um, So that's the easy part. Um, and then start getting the direct mail in place. Decide whether you're going to do it yourself. And you might want to do that. You know, if you're a broke investor and you're starting on your first mailing, um, when we were working jobs, you know, I, I would I would stuff them, you know, while I was watching TV at night. And then hubby would come home from work because we were on opposite shifts. And he would address them. And then I would stamp them. And so we kind of, you know, helped each other. And then we would have boxes of them going. And then as we could afford stamps, we'd stamp them and they'd go out the door. Seriously, that's how we started, which is the reason that I was so interested in really, really targeting and really figuring out what parameters we could use to really hone in on these people because I couldn't afford to mail out a lot of letters. So the letters I mailed out needed to count, really count. Mm-hmm. And that's, and we still use the, we still implement those same techniques today, and, and the numbers are phenomenal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... D- have a plan in place not just to get the things out but then to count the responses uh, 
evaluate the responses because many times yep. you'll find that within a particular list, some subsegment is more responsive than another one. And sometimes, sometimes you just got to have you know check marks next to the people who responded to even know to even recognize any kind of pattern like that. Correct. And and what we did back in the beginning before software and all that sort of thing, because response software and, and, and management software, you know, we're talking 16 years ago, wasn't around. We did the paper on the wall kind of thing, you know, and we did. And we tracked, you know, what the response rate was and, you know, exactly who was contacting us and how many letters went out and when we got the first contact and when the second person contacted us, you know, was it five days or a week and, you know, and how many at each interval and, and, and we did. And we still, by the way, we still track and test like that constantly. And we're always changing and honing and, and updating what we do according to what the market is calling for. Um, so it, it was, it's real simple to, in the beginning, you know, use that, you know, piece of paper and a pen and, and track your mailings. So just like you're saying, that they can segment out the highest response rates and really target those folks. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Such great advice from someone who has clearly actually done it. And we will be very glad to see you here next week, Kathy. We are out of time, but we will definitely be here next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.